Doomed Fidget, a BFRB podcast. Hey everyone, welcome to Fidget. For this episode, I've invited back Pam, the licensed clinical social worker from episode 10. I wanted to chat with her again because she's very passionate about a style of therapy called Acceptance Commitment Therapy, or ACT. As some of you may know, over the last year or so, I've been changing my career from engineering to counseling psychology. I'm back at school, and I'm currently doing an internship, which has meant working with clients one-on-one with their BFRB. And it's been so incredibly meaningful. I just love it so much. Um, And as a part of this, I'm using Fidget as an excuse to talk to more mental health professionals, um, learning just how I can become a better BFRB counselor. So if there's a therapy style you're curious about, please let me know at fidgetpodcast at gmail.com and I'll seek it out and we can learn together. Anyway, on with the show. Here here we are back back in the booth. Um, Pam, thank you so much. I appreciate your time. Well, just your insight always. So thank you for again coming on. My pleasure. I'm, I'm glad to be here. Um, so I guess a little bit of context into, I think, why I specifically was motivated in talking to you today is I'm, you know, as you know, I'm like sort of beginning now my like therapist training journey. Um, last time we chatted, I, you know, I was figuring out a lot of stuff, but you know, I'm kind of now like zeroing in carving out, like finding my niche, I guess. And so as a part of that, I, um, you know, I kind of look up to you as someone who has, um, I don't know if found her niche is correct, uh, but you're very passionate about act. So I'm curious about that passion. Yeah, I, I, you know, I sent you that list of questions. And the first question was sort of how, how has your approach changed over time? And like, you know, like what, what influences those changes? I don't know if we, maybe we can start there. My approach has changed greatly. I started Mm -hmm. off as a school social worker. And when I was in the schools, it was very important that I had experience in terms of working with individuals along ADHD and along learning disabilities, as well as emotional components. Um, And as I was in schools, my framework was cognitive behavioral. I was doing a lot in terms of social skills training, and it was just a very different approach. A lot of students in special education or students that had some sort of disability, When I ventured out into working in private practice, the world changed for me because now I had to give myself a theoretical foundation that would allow me to be flexible and to work with a large variety of individuals. About the time I found ACT was also actually the time that I began working with individuals with BFRBs. So I don't think that it's a coincidence that the two took off at about the same time. Right, right. Yeah. You know, and I think this is something that I I wonder about. Like, I would love to speculate with you. Like, do you know why, like, CBT is so, like, popular? You know what I mean? Like, I feel like, you know how sometimes acronyms, they take on a life of their own and they, like, people just throw them out there and they don't even know what it means anymore. They just say CBT this, CBT that, CBT. Yeah, I, in my mind, like CBT's almost become like synonymous with like therapy. But I think 
it gets used so much that like the definition almost has become like watered down you know um i i i don't know do you do you have a sense as to like i don't know i I do i think because with cognitive behavioral therapy behaviors behaviors are things that we can evaluate we can Mm. look at the frequency the intensity the duration of those behaviors. So they're things that have a five sense experience that Mm. if you do something, I can see you doing it. Mm. Um, And it's something you could track and you can Mm. track behavioral change. I think if we only look at, when you think back about some of the other therapeutic approaches that maybe don't track behaviors in the same way, Mm. at least in the United States, I think it's more related to what insurance is saying, what are you working on? How are you approaching it? What are you doing? And being able to show progress. So my hunch is, is that with CBT, so the psychological issues are partly based on unhelpful thinking, involves changing thinking patterns. It involves recognizing cognitive distortions Reevaluating based on reality. And mm. it looks at how the thoughts, feelings, actions, or behaviors are all connected. Right. So I think because of it being something you can really see and experience, that's maybe part of it. Yeah. 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 Totally. Yeah. Okay. Cool. And then, so, you know, you, you know, you were working with CBT for. F- primarily within the school setting. And then as you kind of ventured out, you you started realizing, there, you know, there's a bigger world out there. And that's, that's why you found ACT. So maybe you could, you know, share a little bit as to like, what, what you love about it. Um, yeah, what's so exciting about it? There are so many things. And I feel like ACT is something that is applicable, not only for my clients, but it's applicable in my own life. Mm. ACT is, it's a psychological intervention. It's defined in terms of certain theoretical processes based on modern um, behavioral psychology. So Mm. relational frame theory, that is an example of what it's based on. And evolutionary science Mm. applies mindfulness and acceptance and committed action and behavioral change processes to create psychological flexibility. And at the core of all this is values. It's what's important to us. And so within ACT, there are six main tenements, if if you will. So I'm going to walk you through them and I'm going to pause after each one and please ask (laughs) questions and I'd be happy to do that. Mm. Acceptance. Acceptance, it's a willingness to be active and aware of your private events, your thoughts, your feelings, your memories, your body sensations, and experiencing them without trying to change their form. It's an alternative to experiential avoidance, trying to get rid of a feeling or ignore it or pretend like it's not there. It's allowing it to be there without trying to change it. Mm, Yeah, totally. I think I have like memories of, I don't know, my, my mom maybe say like, I'm like, I think I was like a sensitive set and like, you know, like, I don't know, boys are not supposed to cry, that sort of thing. And my mom would be like, oh, Jason, like, don't, don't be sad. Like, there's sort of like no value in being sad, um, 
which, uh, you know, I think is sort of what my mom needed to tell herself. And that's sort of the strategy that he she learned. But I, I don't know. I, that's what I think of when you bring up this sort of like acceptance piece. Um, just oh, like accepting that people can be sad. Yeah. And it's normal and it's natural. And can you just observe that it's there? Who wouldn't mm. want to be sad if they were feeling rejected by a friend? Who wouldn't want to experience feeling nervous about going into a job interview? We're mm. all normal. And, and those are all normal emotions. Right. Yeah. And, and yet I feel like our society, it kind of like... I don't know, paints them as like weaknesses, right? Like, it's like, oh, you shouldn't feel that. Like, what is the value of it, right? Um, yeah, I don't know. It's just like a lot of um, damage to undo, I think, in, in, in coming to to accept these. Yeah. Yeah. Um, second one. Cognitive diffusion. So act attempts to change the way that we relate to our thoughts, mm. not trying to change the thought, not trying to battle the thought. And the result of diffusion is the decrease of an attachment or believability to that thought. It's a non-judgmental approach to our thoughts. So whereas some traditional CBT approaches might be challenging the thought or looking for reasonings to believe why the thought is true or not true. What's how cognitive diffusion, it's very different. It's being able mm. to notice that you're having a thought or to be able to notice that your brain is doing its job in thinking as opposed to debating and battling with the thought. Right, right. Yeah. Yeah. This one was a bit of a like a mind warper, I think, when I first started reading it. But maybe Pam, I'll tell you what I think cognitive diffusion is and you can correct me. But it's like, so like a word has a meaning embedded into it, but it's also just sounds. And so I think I don't maybe act says we get into trouble when we attach too much to the meaning behind the words. Yes. Instead of just recognizing that sounds can just be sounds. And um, so I think maybe one example is like, if somebody like swears at you in a foreign language, there's not that same emotional weight because you don't have all that like cultural significance attached to this, like, swear word in Italian or whatever. Um, yeah, I guess I guess that's kind of, I don't know. It, it, would you add anything to that? Um, what I would add to it is that when we have thoughts or when there are different pieces that we can get stuck with, like mm. these, I call them sticky thoughts for a lot of clients, they usually are attached to something that we have derived meaning from. And if it's not something that we find important, we usually just let it go. Mm. We also, our brains are pretty predictable, meaning mm. that our brains like to fill in blanks, even when there isn't a blank to be filled. So um, if I were to say to you, for example, um, I could tell you what you're going to be thinking in 30 seconds, 
Mm. You might say to me like, Pam, that's, you know, that's strange because I don't even know what I'm thinking in 30 seconds. (laughs) But then I can say, but I can offer a suggestion and I know exactly what you're going to respond and what exactly you're going to be thinking. And you could still be really confused by that. But then Mm. I could say to you, Mary had a little Mm, lamb. (laughs) Right. What word pops into your head because you already have an association with it. So we do get fused on our past experiences, our past memories, and cognitive diffusion, it really is an attempt to change how we relate, not to change the thought, not to make the thought go away, but for us to be able to look at it a little bit differently. Right, 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 right. Yeah, change how we relate. I like like how you put that. I think... um, it's like it's like I feel like maybe with BFRBs, I have a lot of like resistance to the thoughts, uh, you know, or that that's my relationship to me picking my skin. It's like, oh my gosh, that's that's so horrible, and like it, it, that that tension, it sort of it mounts and builds, and um, I guess you know maybe this is where cognitive diffusion comes into play. Is it's like okay, just accept you know accept that that thought is there and it, it doesn't need to be this big heavy thing. I don't know, maybe yeah. It can maybe just be that predictable thing that shows up in certain situations. Right, right, totally. Okay, cool. I love that. Um, <laughs> let's let's keep moving. But that also then leads into being present, present moment awareness with within. Our lives. And so we can only act in the present. We can't act in the past. We can't act in the future, even though our brain likes to be able to think about every other time something happened or predict what's going to happen in the future. We can't change how we behave. We don't have that flexibility other mm. than in the present moment. Right. right. And so yeah. that allows us to have not only the flexibility, but to be more consistent in acting with our values. Mm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, when you work with your clients, do they struggle with this one? This cognitive diffusion? A yeah. lot. You mean in terms of being present? Yeah. Or like, I feel like this one has a bit of like a, like a steeper learning curve. <laughs> you know what I mean? Agreed. I think that for a lot of us, we are always thinking about that next thing, that we are in the midst of um, driving somewhere, for example, and we're thinking about what we need to get the grocery store, as opposed to driving and paying attention in in the moment. When we talk about things like BFRBs, for example, a lot of people tend to be more in that dissociative quality, that place where they are not present. And that they are more inside their heads and more internally focused than they are at the five sense experience. And when I say five mm. sense experience, I mean touch, taste, hearing, smelling, tasting, like all of that. Mm. Mm. And so when we are present, we're able to experience things outside of ourselves, not just being aware of what's going on in our internal world. Right, right. Yeah, yeah. So I guess like, I mean, like striking the balance between like being present, but also diffusing those thoughts. It's like, okay, we're aware that, you know, I'm 
for example, like I'm touching my table right now, but so I'm present in the feeling of touching the table and yet I've like diffused from, I don't know, some like, um, I don't know if it's obsession or like intrusive thought or like I'm worried like, what is the relationship to me touching the table? I don't know if that makes sense. Well, if you're touching the table and you say, oh, I notice my hand is on the table, mm. that's one thing. If you're touching the table and you say to yourself, and I'm noticing touching the table and I'm doing this repeatedly, is that bad? Mm. Now we've gotten into judgment. Right. Now we've gotten right. into some used thoughts. Or if you're touching the table and you're thinking, okay, I'm touching the table and you leave it at that, but then maybe you're judging it. Ooh, there's a divot in the table. I wonder how I got that scratch in the table. What did I do wrong here? Mm, Right, right. Okay. Yes. I like, I like that clarification. Thank you for that. The, the non-judgmental piece. Um, Okay, cool. Nice. Awesome. Um, Do you have anything more to say on this point or happy to move on? It's fine. We we can move on to self as context. Okay. Okay. So self as context has to do with, you know, the I versus you and the here versus now and they versus them being able to be aware of your own experience without an attachment to them. This it's a sense of self is a perspective. And so when people get really stuck with their self, as context usually means that they are really holding on to an idea. So if I were to say I'm a social worker and I'm a therapist and I leave it at that, well, that leaves out a whole lot about me that if I remove that one piece, who else am I? I am not just one thing that none of us are just one thing that we are made up by a lot of experiences and we could probably name hundreds, if not thousands and tens of thousands of aspects to ourselves. Mm, Right. Okay. And so, sorry, the name of this one is selfless context. Self self as context. Self as context. And it's, I guess what this one is saying is it's important not to like, over-attach with one like singular identity. Yeah. Um, yeah. Okay. Okay. Yes. To yeah. hold on lightly, if you will, being able right. to have that flexibility. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. So I guess similar question to the one I asked about cognitive diffusion. Do you find this one is a challenge for clients? Like, do they struggle with like, grasping this context co- concept? I think so, because it's not uncommon that I will have somebody who really over-identifies, say, as an individual, the BFRB, and can't see themselves as other things because they see themselves as that fault, fault, just as an example. Right, right, right. The BFRB might be one part of them, but they may also be a mother, a sister. They may also be a knitter, an artist. They may also Mm. be a runner. There are so many other aspects to them, but Mm. when they only see one part themselves, it really, that hyperfixation 
really causes some inflexibility. But when we start throwing in other aspects, it begins to show that we are much more than one thing. Right, right, right. Yeah. Okay, nice. I, I think, yeah, you, you mentioning that I'm sort of reminded of sort of this like ongoing conversation about like person first language versus like disability first language, you know, it's like, oh, am I a autistic person? Or am I a person with autism? That sort of thing, right? So yeah, yeah, I, I, I guess act would say you are a person with autism. Um, yeah, yeah, totally. Okay, nice. I also, um, I also, as you talk about that, I'm reminded of something that I heard recently about imposter syndrome. And uh, with imposter syndrome, it's what like one definition is people who overly identify with their failures and they under under identify with their strengths or sorry their successes. And I think I don't know maybe people get caught up in this feeling of like oh I'm not doing enough like you know like look at all my mistakes and it's like well okay yes you've made mistakes but. Did you forget about all your successes? Did you forget about all your good things? Right. And I think um, that's also a process for me where I have to like catch myself. Like, being like, oh, Jason, you're sticking too much to your mistake again. Right. So. Well, um, and a couple of responses I have to that is, first mm. of all, we all experience some form of imposter syndrome. And it's usually tied to something that's important to us. Mm. Because we want to be able to be our best in an area that is important to us. Mm. The other thought that I have is when you were describing that with pointing the mistakes. So I mentioned the word knitting a few moments ago and Mm. probably not by accident. I'm a knitter and there are times that somebody will say to me, oh, I really like your sweater. And I'll say, thank you. I made it. And they'll say, you knitted that? And I'll say, yeah. And they're like, that is so amazing. And I have that thought of, oh, you didn't see that one part where I <laughs> knitted instead of purled or that one area that I wound up having to go back and do something to. Mm. And it's because they're looking at the totality. And sometimes our perspective is zoning in on that one fault. So yes. Right, right. Yeah, It's that totally. perspective piece. Yeah. I I also think, um, you know, maybe there's people on the other side of imposter syndrome who it's like maybe people who like lack a certain amount of humility, right? Where um, I, like, I think it's important not to define individuals. You can't define individuals by their greatest successes or their biggest failures, right? It's like every human is an average of both. Yes. Um Right. Okay. Well, anyways, I love it. <laughs> wow. Cool. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you for, um, for, for shedding light on that one. Um, what, what do we have next? Values. Values. They are purposeful actions that give us direction in life. They mm. are different from goals because values we don't ever necessarily meet, whereas goals mm-hmm. are steps that we maybe take along the way. So for example, a value of mine is being a supportive mother to my children. I can never one day say like, I've made it here, but I could take steps along the way to show support to my kids. And so values, they give us direction and it reminds us that in act, living our values is a path to that vital and rich life. 
values can change over time too, because when I was 10, I probably wasn't thinking about being a supportive mom. (laughs) And sometimes our values that we have as growing up in our households, they are really our family's values. And as we begin to branch out on our own, other things become important to us. Mm. But when we are working toward our values, we tend to have more satisfaction in life. And we tend to have more suffering when we are working the opposite direction of our values. Right, right. Yeah, yeah. In my mind, this is very, like, this is, like, core act. And I think you mentioned this as well. Like, uh, values plays such a huge component of of this um, modality. Uh, Like... And I think this one's tough. And I, so another one of my questions that I, I think I sent you in the email was like, values make sense to me now, but it definitely like, again, there was a bit of a learning curve um, on this one. And I think it's because I, I feel like so much of our conversation revolves around like avoiding the bad. It's, it's not, it's not, it's, it's, it's not moving towards our values so much as like, like let's stop like RBFRB or something. Right. Um, yeah. I don't know. It's like, it's hard to, it's hard to get people to make that switch. I, I don't know in my mind, I think, but I don't know. Do you have any experience with that? I think a large part of it is, is that awareness of where am I? What direction am I heading? So um, me being in the States, you being in Canada, if I wanted to drive to Canada and my goal was working toward Canada and suddenly Mm. I saw myself driving towards Texas, I would need to pause and ask myself, which way do I want to be headed? Mm. So it's awareness of keeping the value in your mind's eye, being able to notice it's there. And maybe that if somebody identifies their value as I want to have, for example, healthy skin. Okay, well, Mm. what is important to you about having healthy skin? Because Mm. maybe the value of having healthy skin is just a part of it that is an offshoot that maybe there's something bigger. Maybe Mm -hmm. there is a value of having a variety of coping strategies. And one of them is doing something different than picking skin. Right. Right. Yeah. So maybe it's that like, maybe people are kind of always in this like reactive mode or it's like, I'm always like responding. Like I'm always in fight or flight. I'm always late. I'm always behind. I never have time to like catch my breath and like choose a direction. Right. I I don't know. Maybe, maybe that's, that's a part of it. But that's where being present and mindfulness comes into play. Right. It's Mm -hmm. being able to notice here's how I'm feeling and what do I need to do to meet my needs? What are those precursors that lead up to that reactive mode? Having that Mm -hmm. awareness and noticing, oh, this is starting. What do I need to do right now to take care of me? Right, right. Yeah. I I think it's just like, I don't know. I don't know how to put this elegantly. Like, it's just like hard to do that. (laughs) Um, It is hard. Yeah, totally. Uh, Yeah. 
And I I think like I like what you said about people will come and saying like, oh, I want healthy skin. And then you have to kind of like, you know, you 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 jump in with that second question, like, why is healthy skin important to you? Do you find that that's something that people do they have to like sit with that question and take a, a like you know do they have to come back to that question or do you find people typically know why healthy skin's important to them it usually takes more prodding and so i might ask well why is that important i might ask what will be different in your life when mm. you are managing your bfrb and that you are feeling like you have healthy skin what might look different what might be different it might also be questions about how does this get in the way of Right. For example, healthy relationships right now. Mm. It might be a question of what is going to be different in terms of your dating relationship if you're not dating because you don't want somebody to know your secret. What's right. going to be different about your dating relationship? And then those values that might come out are connections mm. to others, mm. being able to have an intimate relationship with another human being. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. so totally. yes takes a lot of questions <laughs> i yeah no and i think um i guess the question that um yeah i, I kind of uncovered in this is like i think a huge element of like denial about our mental health um or, or our bfrbs like i think for a long time i was in denial about like how much my bfrb was like impacting my life and sometimes now that I've kind of like crossed the Rubicon a bit, I, I see people who, um, you know, maybe I like, I see them, maybe I'm projecting, but I see that they're kind of like struggling and I ask them about it, but they are sort of like, no, 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 like, it's not a big deal. Like, it's fine. Like, we'll make it through or like, oh, I don't have enough time to work on it right now. Um, yeah. And I guess some part, you know, I have to respect that they're on their own journey with yes. where they're at in their mental health. But um, yeah, I guess um, these additional questions are good. It's just, I think some people are in like denial about their mental health. Yeah. I don't know if you have any thoughts about that. I think that for some people working on your BFRBs, it's, it's hard work, not just for some, for anybody, it's hard work. And we're asking clients to give up a behavior that they've used every day of their lives to manage and get through. Mm. Um, and I know I've said this to you before, Jason, like if you asked me, give up your coffee, Pam, I'd be like, uh -huh. <laughs> like that helps me through. Um, right. And whereas I could maybe if I were uh, giving up coffee, I could just not go down the coffee aisle. I could not go to my favorite coffee shop to buy a cup of joe in the morning. I mm. could do lots of things. But when you're talking about your own body, you mm. can't just not go to your skin. You cannot, mm -hmm. you can't just not go to your hair. It's attached mm. to you. It's mm. there wherever you are. Right. And so when we're asking somebody to give up a behavior, that is so available to them. It's right. hard work. And right. the next part that I'm going to say is that it can ebb and flow. And so people get really mm. frustrated that they can have three, four, five, 
six weeks, three months of being absent, their behavior being absent, Mm. and then they can have one episode and it could wipe out all of their progress or seeming progress. And so within the BFRB world, it's not as much about judging whether or not your hair has grown or whether or not your skin is clear as Mm. much as it is about measuring how often are you using your strategies? Uh, the other the other week, you were sharing with me how um, I think one of your clients was saying like, oh, that maybe they're like uh, pulling their hair while they're studying and they're worried, oh, if I stop pulling or it's like in the past, I've always pulled my hair while I studied and I've always gotten a good grade. And so I'm worried if I stop pulling maybe I won't have a good grade or I won't be able to study anymore. And, and I think that's almost like the relationship that I have, you know, that people might have with BFRBs is like, it is that coping tool and they like, yeah, like rely on it. And I think it's, um, yeah, it's, it's tricky to untangle that. Well, and it is tricky because if they've been using pulling or scratching or picking, or whatever it might be, Mm. for a long period of time to manage stress related to academics. And if Mm. they have decided that this is the only way that they can handle their stress, Mm. and if they give that up, that no other strategy or tool will be good enough, that there is this belief that they've bought into, this idea that they're fused with, that says mm. picking equals getting an A. Pulling right. equals getting a attaboy or an attagirl from an evaluator. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. Um, yeah. It's, it's tough. <laughs> um, you know, not to be solved today. But okay. So the, the denial, I love the questions you posed, you know, like, um, what what would be different in your life if you know the your BFRB reduced? How does your BFRB get in the way of your life? Yeah, why is you know you want healthy skin? Why is healthy skin important to you? You know you want long hair. Why is long hair important to you? Yeah, yeah, it's um I don't know big big questions I guess. Well, and, and they are and being able to keep that in their mind's eye as they move into the next area, which is committed action. We're mm. going to take steps towards our values. If um, When those values, when those things are important to us. So are you willing to have this discomfort, this feeling that you're having in the presence of living a value-filled life? And so committed action steps, these are those things that we do between sessions. This is really when the rubber hits hits the ground. It's really what happens between the sessions in terms of practicing what you are working on with a therapist. Mm. And committed action steps, these are things that a client is willing to do. And so mm. if, for example... Um, we work on a strategy and I ask a client, what do you think about practicing this strategy? It's got to be, when are you going to do it? 
not exactly mm. when, like 10 a.m. on Thursday. But mm. being able to look at, are there times that's going to be more important? Helping them to be able to see what it is that their vision is and helping them to be able to align it with the values. The other thing that I typically will ask a client is, great, on a scale of one to 10, one being I'm just giving you lip service, 10 being as good as done, how likely are you to follow through with these committed action steps this week? Mm-hmm, if I mm-hmm. hear anything less than a six or a seven, I'm realizing, okay, there is something here the client isn't buying into. And, and we need to talk about that. If I'm right. hearing like a six or a seven or an eight, I, I typically will ask, is there anything that would make that number go up one number? Is there anything that mm-hmm. would make it go down a number? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Totally. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The motivational interviewing piece. <laughs> yeah, um, you got it. Yep. I love it. Um, I'm, I'm reminded of the quote, like, uh, the teacher arrives when the student is ready. And yeah, I guess I think maybe a bit of the piece that I see is my, I I don't know, I'm still navigating this, but like kind of in being, uh, you know, stepping into like a therapist role. Sometimes I'm like, you know, maybe like taking on this like teacher, teacher role, but like, feeling like, ah, the student's not ready yet. Right. And I don't know if there's a certain amount of like making peace with that of like, okay, you know, they're like, it's, it's sort of like, when does the student need a nudge? And when does the student need like space for them to like figure it out themselves? Right. I don't know if you, if, if you found a way to conceptualize that question. I think that is always a hard one because sometimes it is taking a step back and asking ourselves as therapists or clinicians, what else is going on in this situation? And maybe that the client showed up saying, I really want to work on my BFRB, yet maybe there are components that are preventing the client from being able to do so. Then maybe Mm. they aren't ready. But that doesn't mean that we can't hold the space for them for when they are. Mm -hmm. And usually having a client, not shaming them, but having them talk about what's making this really hard. I know that you said that you wanted to work on this and I'm sensing that that is not the case because I'm sensing each week I'm hearing you're not doing your homework or things are getting Mm -hmm. worse. Mm -hmm. And I'm questioning what am I missing here? And letting the client be able to talk about it. And maybe it's, I really don't want to work on that, but I'm willing to work on anxiety and being able to say, okay, great. Let's work on the anxiety. The BFRB work will always be here for us to work on. Mm. And in the meantime, let's work on what it is that you are willing to commit to working on. Right, right. Oh, okay. Does yeah. That make sense? Yeah, no, I love I love that sort of language. Because I think maybe sometimes I'm hesitant of like, I don't know if it's like calling someone out, right? Or maybe I've like triggered memories of my previous life as an engineer, when my boss would ask me, Oh, Jason, like, I want, here's this initiative, I have this grand vision, blah, 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 like, we want to like commit budget and resources to implementing this project. And I'm like, okay, great. Sounds good. And I do a lot of the groundwork and I have it ready. I deliver it to my boss and I'm like, yeah, we're not quite ready to go on it. And I'm like, what the heck? Like I put all this work in like, and it was sort of like people's words weren't matching their actions. Uh 
And yeah, I think that was very discouraging for me. And I didn't quite know how to navigate like sort of like calling people out on saying like, well, you know, you, you said you wanted to work on this and yet, you know, I, I, maybe I upheld my end of the bargain or whatever, you know, this other person isn't. So, um, again, that's just what was going through my mind. Um, and so, yeah, I like, I like how you, how you framed it. It's like, you know, I'm I'm not bringing this up to shame you or anything. I just want to like, you know, what am I missing here? Right? Like, is is there something else? As you're saying, like, it's how you ask the question. So Mm. the question I might ask is, I'm curious, I'm noticing this, that you said that you said this, but I'm noticing Mm. this. And can you help me understand what's going on for you? Mm. Or it might be, I'm a little confused here can you help clear up my confusion? And so it's about putting it back on me and not blaming them Mm. and coming back to what you were just describing too, is that recognizing that things sometimes what we say versus what we do doesn't always match and being able to notice as that's happening in your office. Right. And act isn't just about, what you're doing with the client. It's what you're doing with yourself in terms of the stance as a therapist. I'm checking in with myself. I'm noticing thoughts showing up in my head. I'm noticing feelings that are becoming present as I'm working with a client. I'm being present in that moment. And when I lose present moment awareness, I'm bringing myself back to that important person in front of me. Right. And so it's being able to practice what we're doing with the client with ourselves too right right yeah wow holy cow oh my goodness Um, and where does this all lead it all leads to psychological flexibility that's what this model really leads to it's the process of contacting that present moment fully as a conscious human being and persisting or changing behavior in the service of our chosen values Mm-hmm, that is mm-hmm. what psychological flexibility is about right do you um and so i uh i think we were both leading to this that is the sixth tenet of act no committed uh, action was this is what the framework is psychological uh, flexibility it's the psychological flexibility model it has been um in the past and i believe current still referred to as a hexaflex but mm. being able to do these things Right. As we were talking about, when I say these things, acceptance, cognitive diffusion, being present, selfless context, values, committed action, that leads to Mm. psychological flexibility. I don't know. Do you you have like a gut instinct or maybe you've just developed this over the years, but like, do you have like this kind of internal like scale? Like, um, (laughs) you know, do you measure clients like either rigidity or flexibility as they come in and is that sort of like in your mind like the goal that you're working on or there are actually um scales within um the act world within acceptance um commitment therapy that you can use in terms of monitoring your client's flexibility Mm, mm. and so yes Do do you is that helpful for you in your practice do you find Sometimes it depends on 
what it is that I'm looking to quantify because sometimes it's better for me to use a scale to measure change through, you know, um, skin picking scales or through hair pulling scales or through anxiety. And so it really, it depends on what it is I'm working with the client on. If I'm measuring psychological flexibility, a hundred percent, because I'm able to see where the client is when I initially start with them as they progress through therapy. Mm, mm, yeah. yeah. Really quickly, would you be able to like um, provide a, some like an example of what that scale looks like? Like say someone comes in really rigid and now they're flexible. Like how would you? Yeah. Questions might be along the lines of my painful experiences and memories make it difficult for me to live the life that I would value I'm afraid of my feelings. I worry about not being able to control my worries or feelings. My painful memories prevent me from having a fulfilling life. Emotions cause problems in my life. It seems like most people are handling their lives better than I am. Worries get in the way of my success. Right, right, right. So obviously what we want to see with clients is that if they're the the higher that their ranking is. So for example, Mm -hmm. they say, I'm afraid of my feelings and they give that a seven or always true. We Mm -hmm. want that to be able to decrease in numerical value throughout the therapy. So. Right. Right. Okay. Yeah. No, thank you. Thank you. Uh, Thank you for uh, really quickly pulling that up. I appreciate that. I, I guess the reason I ask and why I'm interested in it is because I find a lot of people with BFRBs, again, you know, maybe they like over fixate on the skin itself, right? And, or like the hair and like the length or like, um, and as we mentioned, like it can become difficult to measure progress on that quote unquote scale because progress might like fluctuate and people, you know, if that's the only measure of it, you know, people might get discouraged of like, what's the point of putting the work in because my progress has disappeared. But if something like, oh, are my, am I afraid of my emotions? You know, I think that's something that we can like continually make progress on, I guess. Yes, absolutely. And I think that also, and as I said, that there are other scales that can be used. So one scale that I've used uh, with clients is, and there's both like a child adolescent report versus the adult report, Milwaukee inventory for styles of trichotillomania. And mm. so I will use something like this to progress monitor a client for how they are approaching their own behavior. And so for that, it's not true versus always true. And it also helps to identify focus pulling versus unfocused pulling. So that's mm-hmm. a helpful tool as well. Or I've used acceptance and action questionnaire for trichotillomania, which is a version of the AAQ that we talked about just a moment ago. Right, right. Um, I, I had a question that came up and maybe this is like a non sequitur, but like uh, uh, with, with values and goals, you know, I think, yeah, it's a good distinction to make, but I think, I don't know, sometimes would you say like, like they do support each other, right? It's like 
it's okay to make goals as a reflection of your value, right? Like a, um, yeah, I don't know. Um, Do you have any, again, just like language, kind of like walking people through that that thought process? Yeah, the goals are your committed action. What are you doing this week to work towards your values? Oh, okay, right. Because goals are measurable. Did I do it Mm -hmm. or didn't I do it? And so if, for example, let's say that somebody who gets stuck in the mirror with skin picking. And let's say that they have a goal that they want to set for themselves that week as part of their committed action is Mm. I want to set a timer and not be in front of the mirror more than five minutes for this purpose. Mm. Um, And so that's a goal. And did they do it or didn't they do it? Right. And it might be that I want to do that four times this week. And maybe the following week, they want to increase that to six times. Right. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I like that. I like that. Um, That's a good distinction. And so another question that I had was you recently have been sharing with me that uh, there's this like eight, 10 week protocol booklet um, that, that you've been working through with, with a few clients, right? Um, and, and this was like a new experiment for you, right? <laughs> Do you want to share a little bit about how that's going? Yeah, I had actually, I had had this treatment manual and I had kind of looked at it over the years, but hadn't followed it exactly the way that the treatment manual was set up. I would pull different mm. components into my work. And it's trichotillomania, an act-enhanced behavior therapy approach. It's by Douglas Woods and Mike Tuig. And they actually, what sparked me into choosing to just follow the protocol a little bit was there was recently a publication of their blind study on, on their protocol. And mm. it showed that yeah, it works essentially in a nutshell. And so it made me say, okay, now I want to try this. I was curious. So Mm. I'm often curious. And so (laughs) I have been doing this with a couple of clients. And what's been really cool has been, it's just kind of shifted a little bit about how I typically do things that I don't necessarily jump right into the SCAMP model and throwing into place sensory replacement. And it's really more of getting their bearings in terms of their urges and being able to respond to the urges um, a little bit differently. And when I say respond, I mean, noticing the precursors to the urges. How do they want to be able to um, respond in a way like through habit reversal training, as an example, Um, it's being able to notice the values and still notice those cognitions and those thoughts that they're stuck with. And it's all the 10 minutes act interwoven into the therapy. And so it was pretty cool to experiment with this protocol, with this guide and with the workbook and being able to ask clients to engage in this um, therapy model in this way and providing them with the homework as the protocol. Totally. Right. Yeah. I guess, um, I guess I ask because a question that I'm asking myself is that like act seems very like 
concept rich, right? Like there's a lot of, there are many pieces that potentially could be like stumbling blocks, right? I, I, I Again, I think a little bit about this like learning curve and it is sort of this like shift away. Like it, it's, it's changing your mindset on, you know, it's changing your relationship. It's changing how you think about values and like, you know, and I don't know if it's like hard for clients to like, you know, follow that curriculum through, you know, like, will people get lost in the weeds? And so um, not lost in the weeds, but it's just like, yeah. So whereas other forms of therapy maybe have a module or other forms of therapy maybe have um, kind of a scripted piece with ACT, it's about bouncing around the, the flexibility model, the psychological flexibility mm. model. And it's not about being stuck in any one area and saying we need to accomplish acceptance before we move on to values. It is really about having flexibility as a therapist to know which mm. direction to go. And you're right. Like any new therapy model, I don't expect that any clinician new to ACT is going to jump in both feet first and know everything. I think back about my gaffes probably early on about things. And it's not about explaining to a client what the model is about. It's more or less right. of a stance as a therapist is the way I look at it. Right, right. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I think that's, um, that's helpful. And I appreciate that. Holy cow. Act. Um, just scratching the surface. Just scratching the surface. And yeah, yeah, yeah. if I were to say the following about what ACT really is about, and I'm going to try to sum it up maybe in 45 seconds or less. I refer to it as open, aware, engaged, because I've heard that and I love it. And I think it really makes it really helpful to remember those three words. Being open involves welcoming and accepting life as it is without trying to change it. Being aware means noticing all your experiences, including your thoughts, feelings, and memories. And mm. being engaged or being active concerns doing things that matter to you and behaving in ways that are consistent with your values. And so it's this idea of, I am here now. I am accepting, noticing, and doing what I am about, like right. the values, right? Right. And it's what I care about. So if that makes sense, that's how I summarize ACT in a nutshell. Okay. <laughs> Amazing. I, I love it, Pam. Um, you know, maybe maybe that uh, is a good place to <laughs> call our episode for today. We don't want to uh, let people... Well, my head is definitely still spinning. And so <laughs> I'm, I'm sure people's... Um, at home also <laughs> spinning maybe where we can leave it is if anybody has um you know is their their interest is peaked uh, with with act and you know maybe they they're interested in like reaching out to a therapist who is trained in this i don't know could you could you point um people into the direction of any resources or if, yeah what would you say? I would say um, going to contextualscience.org, you would be able to search for ACT therapists, not just in the U.S., but outside of the U.S. Mm. Um, and there's a lovely little tab on there that helps you to find a therapist. There are also lots of resources on there that could be helpful to look at. Right. 
Okay. Yeah. A, a wealth of information out there. Um, yes. But yeah. Okay. Awesome. And um, Pam, you are a therapist in the Chicago area. <laughs> Checking in. Are you, if anyone's interested, are you accepting clients or you're full up? Um, I'm currently on a wait list. That being said, that's always changing. And yes, I am a therapist in the Chicago area. I am licensed in Illinois, but I'm also licensed in four other states that I could offer telehealth to. And that includes Ohio, Nebraska, Massachusetts, and Utah. Okay, awesome. There you go. Well, um, again, listeners, if you have a BFRB, if you're interested in ACT, um, you can reach out to Pam. Her website is NorthShoreMentalWellness.com. Yeah, amazing. Thank you again, Pam. I appreciate your time always. Thank you so much for the 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 little uh, ACT crash course. Um, yeah. Well, thank you for having me. Okay, awesome. Well, bye. Thanks, listeners. See you next time. <laughs>